when I was looking at this year's, this half of the book of Romans, I realized that there was a great, a great truth and a great challenge from what we kind of had to skip over last year. So when I was looking at all the memory verses to memorize, the one that jumped out at me was Romans 2, 4 that says, I need to deal with this. And um, uh, go ahead and look at Romans 2, 4. We'll start there. And I just have to ask you to ponder for a moment a very, very strong word. Uh, Romans chapter 2, read it aloud with me together. Ready? Say it, read it out loud together. Or despises thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Romans 2 4. Now, there's at least six or seven very important words, but there's one I'm going to really focus on, and that's the word despise. It's a powerful question. Are you, listen, are, is it possible that people would despise when you're kind to them? Is it really possible that people would despise God being good to them? Do we actually despise the goodness of God, his forbearance, his long-suffering toward us? Is it even possible that people would do that? And unfortunately, it is. Paul also asked, and we'll talk about it, he says, are you so ignorant of the fact that he should be punishing, he should be judging, he should be condemning, he should be being harsh with us, but instead... He's being good to us, and he's leading us. Are you so ignorant of the fact that he's leading you to what? What's that last word? Repentance. The answer is yes to all the above. In Romans, in Romans chapter uh, 1 and 2, Paul says that mankind is in trouble. Chapter 1 and verse 18, look at this. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against how much ungodliness? People say, well, I'll get away with it. At least what they say to themselves, said, you know, nobody's in trouble anymore. I mean, they made this legal. Nobody thinks such and such is wrong anymore. It doesn't matter. God's wrath is revealed throughout history and in the Bible especially, but God's wrath is revealed against all unrighteousness. Then he lists, and we don't have time to read them all, but he lists so many what we would consider evil things like unthankfulness. I know you don't think of that as, un as evil, but God does. The first thing that Paul reveals is that people are unthankful. They're spoiled. And uh, uh, I don't know if your mother taught you or not. My mom did that if somebody gives you something, you thank them. And when you don't thank them, it, you know, you got in trouble. Um, idolatry, pride. Paul lists the lusts uh, of, of men toward men and women towards women and towards all kinds of sexual situations, even bestiality, Paul lists and says, this, is, this abomination is facing the wrath of God. He talks about envy and murder, inventors, people who are inventors of evil things, Paul says, disobedient to parents, covenant breakers, they break their promises, implacable, unmerciful. No one would want to worship a God who wasn't against those things. And no one is safe in a community that honors and promotes those things. Think about that. So what's the problem? Judgment is coming. Every man, woman, and child will stand before God. Uh, take your Bible. I know you're in Romans. Uh, go to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll come back to Romans in a moment, but Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30. 
Hebrews 10, all the way to the right, not quite to Roman, uh, Revelation, but get to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30, for we know him that hath said, <clears throat> vengeance belongeth unto me. Now, who's that? That's God. I will recompense. I'll pay. I'll pay back is what he's saying. Saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge who? Wow, we want the, judge, the Lord to judge the world, but the promise is God will judge his people in verse 31. It is a fearful thing. Circle that word fearful. To fall into the hands of the living God. Judgment's coming. Now, maybe you can just go on through life and things will be going honky-dory, as we say, and really you don't seem to be in trouble for all the things that you've done, the things that you've thought, the things that you've stolen, the things that you've said that you know were wrong. But you go through life and you think, ah, doesn't matter, but judgment will come. Uh, uh, Dad will come home, my mom used to say. <laughs> and But people generally don't care. You know, I, everybody I talk to, and, and really, I don't know, psychologists will tell you, there is an innate sense in every culture and everybody that they fear death. They fear a judgment out in the future sometime. But they don't care. They know, well, I might get in trouble, but they don't care. Go back to Romans now, chapter 1, verse 32. After all of those sins that were listed here in Romans chapter 1, verse 32, it says this who knowing the judgment of God, talking about generally everybody, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things, murders, adultery, fornication, envy, thievery, they which commit such things are worthy of death. The wage of sin is death. But not only do they do the same things, but they have pleasure in them that do them. They love watching it on TV. They love hanging around with people who sin. So not only do people do evil, they actually enjoy watching other people do evil. Isn't it amazing how people are addicted to the media? It's not because the media is so informative. It's because it's wicked, amen? I mean, they have to keep making rules and programs, tightening it up to keep filth from being so overpowering for young people, for everybody it should be, but the media is evil, and people love it. But the truth is, people live like it doesn't matter. I mean, if you're comfortable with watching stuff on your phone and watching stuff on your television that you know you shouldn't be, then there's a problem. We don't care. Now, what's the point? You see, God isn't constantly judging and condemning and punishing sinful people for their sins today. Example of a smoker. I had one guy who had been smoking for like 55 years. And he's sitting there and he wouldn't put him down. And he said, I don't need to. And I said, why? It hadn't killed me yet. <laughs> As he's smoking. I mean, you look at him and you go, is that what you're waiting for? Here's a drinker. Somebody says, I drink Guinness and I'm as strong as an ox. And you look at him and you go, what are you waiting for your liver to finally give out? You're, see, just because you haven't been judged yet doesn't mean you're not going to get in trouble. It's a dangerous way to live. God's goodness and forbearance and long-suffering is not a good reason to just keep living the way that we do. What's the point? God's kindness is allowing us 
an opportunity to repent and we better take it. That's the point. Hebrews 3, 5, 3, 15, don't go there, but Hebrews 3, 15 says, today, if you will hear his voice, and listen to Pastor Craig, listen to the word of God. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Don't reject the warning. Paul says, are you going to despise? Are you going to stay ignorant of the goodness and forbearance and long-suffering of God, not knowing that God is trying to get you to repent? Let's go to Romans chapter 2. Let's pick up there, and we'll pick it up here in verse 2 and 3, and we'll just lay the groundwork for verse 4. Because verse 2 says this. Romans chapter 2, verse 2. We are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth. Now, you and I, we may not be able to make a wise judgment. We may not know all the facts, but God knows it all. In his judgment, there's, there's, there's no extenuating circumstances. There's no excuses. When he judges, he judges according to truth, the Bible says, against them which commit all those things in chapter 1. And thinkest thou this, again, speaking to his audience, speaking to us, by the way, do you really think this, O man, that judges them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Here's the truth. God is a righteous judge. And he's going to judge everyone with all the facts. See, he they talk about a book of evidence down at the DPP, Department of Public Prosecution. Well, God has a book of evidence on every one of us. He has a perfect memory. He sees your heart. He sees your thoughts. So you can't say, well, Lord, you don't understand. And you weren't there. He was there. He saw it. He knew what you went through and what you did. He would judge with all the facts. And he will especially judge the hypocrites. Now, I don't know if you realize it, but chapter 2, verse 1, 2, 3 is all about being a hypocrite. About, um, you know, looking for judgment on others, but not on themselves. And this is, this is the purpose of this message, to open up. You better examine ourselves. You better examine yourself. No one's going to escape the judgment of God. No one's going to stand up and be able to say, well, I'm okay, and they're not. No, not at all. No one's going to escape the judgment of God. The Bible says um, that uh, as it is it appointed the men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So, yeah, you want to live your life and ignore the warnings and ignore the pleas of your parents and of your pastor. If you want to just live your life and, and do what you want, one day you'll stand before God and judgment will fall. Unless... You've allowed somebody to pay for it for you. You see, when I got saved, I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ who took my punishment. So the judgment has now passed off of me and onto him. And I get freedom. I get forgiveness. But a lot of people aren't there yet. So let me ask, let me take you to some thoughts here. In verse 4, when you get to verse 4, he says this. As we've read several times now, despises thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. What is the goodness of God? There's a basic understanding of this. It's, uh, people imagine that God cannot be good. Because look at all the evil in the world. And they want to blame the evil on God. Uh, you know, um, I grew up thinking my parents stayed up late at night planning on, on new rules to make for my life and to make my life miserable as a teenager. So what I thought, 
My parents just loved making my life miserable. But a lot of people think that about God. They have this idea that God's up in heaven going, let me make a new law. Let me just make their lives more miserable. God's nothing like that. See, God is good towards us. God has given to every one of us the miracle of life. I mean, how many of you are breathing right now? That breath you got is a gift from God. He's given us self-awareness. I mean, you're not a vegetable. Amen? He's given us every heartbeat. He's given us our health, our job, our family. And most of all, let me be real clear, he gives you space. You see, God's not like this, this dominating mother that maybe you had who just followed you everywhere and made sure that you were always, you know, she was always on your back and telling you how to do this and just, just making your life miserable. God's not like that. You know what God does? God tells you what to do, and then he steps back and he waits. See, God is very good to us. God treats us better than we deserve. He respects us. He doesn't force and smash his will into our faces. If you think I'm in your face, you have no idea. I'm the kindness of God in your life, standing here warning you. But I, I give you space. As soon as you leave here, I'm not going to worry and go, oh, I, I hope I got it right in their face. I'm not trying to get it in your face. I know the Holy Spirit will. And so God gives you space to take what you're hearing and you to ponder it and consider it and then act on it. And that's the goodness of God. People misunderstand it. God is constantly being good to the entire human race. I mean, he rains on the good and the bad, doesn't he? I mean, rain is necessary. Can you imagine if we lived in Dubai and we didn't have oil to fund all of our building projects? God rains, and that's a good thing, and he's good to all of us, but that does not mean that God appreciates our lifestyle. Just because God hasn't judged you and killed you doesn't mean that he says, I like how you're living. No judgment will come. So let's get this. The goodness of God is that God has not judged us yet. God gives us all a chance after chance to repent and escape the wrath to come. We're treated by God better than we deserve. You know, when God doesn't judge us and doesn't strike us dead on the spot when we mock him. I mean, I made fun of Jesus and God when I was growing up. We grew up without church. We grew up without a Bible. And so friends and, and uh, I mean, church was a mockery. Uh, Christianity was a joke. And, and my view of God was he's not even there. I mean, why didn't God just strike me dead? I don't know. Other than the fact that he's good. I don't know if somebody ever talked to you down and mock you. You just want to punch them. God forbears. Isn't that a good word? Long-suffering, he puts up with. I've known people who've taken the Lord, the, the Last Supper, the picture by, was it Michelangelo, whoever painted the Last Supper, and I've seen people make a blasphemous picture out of that thing and put up blasphemous, wicked, vile images up on that thing and laugh at it. Why doesn't God strike them dead? I know why. God puts up with it. God is good. I mean, he should, but he doesn't. Yet. Uh... It's, it's um, we have a, a brief space of time to repent as a human race and as Christians, as I'm going to say. And yet God is despised. His goodness and kindness is despised. All the kindnesses of God 
are despised by, by the normal human. The fact that he doesn't just step in and, 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 and bring, bring in, um, you know, fix all the wrongs and get rid of all the bad men and all this stuff like a superhero. The fact that God doesn't do that makes people mock him. Well, let me tell you this. I'll give you an example of a young man who on a Friday night gets into his car he shows off his fancy driving skills to his friends, and he's caught for speeding. The guard who stops him gives him a warning since, since he knows his family, and since nothing was damaged and no one was hurt, so it gives him just a warning and lets him go on his way. The next Friday evening, what do you think he's doing? That young man goes out with his friends again and doesn't remember the kindness of that guard and begins to do the same stupid things on the road while driving. He jumps a curb and knocks over a mailbox. The guard are called, and this time he's given a ticket, and he must appear in court. His parents give out to him, and they're upset with him, but they continue to give him the keys because he's got to go to work. In court, the judge sees that this is the first time before the court. He suspends his sentence and gives him a 500-euro fine and allows him to continue to drive and sends him away. What's happening? Is the judge being good? Is the judge being nice to the guy? Are his parents being nice, giving him the keys? Is everybody being nice? Yes, they are. Guess what he's doing the next Friday night? What do you think this young man is going to do? He'll probably pick up his keys, get back with his friends, grab a few beers, and show off his fancy driving skills. And this time he crashes into a car head-on with a woman and a child in it. The woman experiences whiplash and is in pain and will be in pain for the rest of her life. What has this man done? He has despised what was kindness showed towards him, didn't he? Didn't care how he lived and how what were the ramifications and the kindness that he didn't deserve. He mocked, didn't he? Don't think for a second this young man's wrongdoing was just in his driving. You know what it is that wrong man's doing? It was his attitude toward his driving. One the fact that Oh, this was, this was, I did something wrong. No, he did something wrong by not taking the warnings and not taking his parents, giving out to him. And the guard is saying, you got to shape up or you're going to shape up or you're going to be in prison or something's going to happen. And he never took that warning. And so he just kept the same always. All of us are this young man because all of us experience God's goodness constantly towards us. And yet we not only ignore it, sometimes we despise it. We mock it to our own destruction. So Paul asks three questions here in this verse. He asks, he says, do you realize, do you not realize that God is being kind to you by giving you life today? You should have, you should have died in your sleep or you should have died on the roads this past week. Honestly, things should have gone worse and they didn't. Is that not the goodness of God? Are you, secondly, are you really despising God's kindness, his goodness, his forbearance? Forbearance means that God, to forbear means he holds back when he should act and, and, and retaliate and show vengeance. He forbears, he holds back. That's his goodness. And long-suffering means he patiently endures our wrong. Don't think for a second that our sin doesn't affect God. I mean, me... My sin affects people, but it affects God, and God himself is long-suffering to usward. You know what all of those words, goodness, forbearance, long-suffering, you know what all boil down into one word? Grace. 
For by grace are you saved, by God's goodness, by his forbearance, by his long suffering, he's given you a chance after chance after chance to get saved. And he asks the third question, he says, are you so blind to the fact that God is actually trying to bring you to an attitude of repentance? And that's where we're going to go this morning. To a place in your life where you can repent before you're judged and to where you find it easy to repent. Now, that word repentance needs to be defined because the meaning of repentance, it's a good word. It is a needed word, even though it's abused. The word repentance, when it says God leads us to repentance, it's, it's an abused word in religion. Religion set up layer upon layer upon layer of expectations. And people live their life based on successes and failures, Sins and righteousness. Well, repentance is I have to beat myself up because I'm not good enough to most religions. That's not what repentance is. In most religions, when they speak of repentance, they use the word penance, and it makes people feel bad about themselves, while there are a few who feel very good about themselves because they're superior. They're not as bad. Like the Pharisees said, I'm not like this man. Make sure this man feels dirt and, and low. That's not repentance. And that's not the right attitude to have. There's confusion about this word. And so no wonder people just ignore it because it's abused and, and confused. So let's look at the meaning of this thing. To repent simply means a turning of the mind to a different direction. That's the root meaning of repentance. Now, I'm not turning your head. Don't get the idea that, you know, if I just turn my face this way, it's not a head turning. It's a mind turning. It's a change of the mindset. That's where the battle is. The battle is how is your mind set? What is your mind focused on? What does your mind believe? And when there's repentance, that mindset is changed and you have a new belief now. It is more than that. It is a change of attitude about things. Attitudes are settled ways of thinking and feeling about something. <clears throat> People have settled attitudes about smoking, about drinking, about sex on TV. Ah, it doesn't hurt anything. People have attitudes. There are, there are uh, people in this room who have set attitudes about their husband, about their wife. And let me tell you, that attitude needs to change if you want to save your marriage. People have attitudes about prayer and soul winning and repeating and about preaching. And if, if, if we're going to be a proper church, we have to change our attitude about prayer. We have to make it priority, not something we do when we feel like it. So how, what happens is I have to repent. My mindset has to be changed to where I know it is more valuable, more important for me to be with God's people than to be with, Net, than to be with Netflix. Repentance means you realize your attitude, not just a thought, but your attitude must change and you want it to. Psalm 51 verse 17, David says this, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. What's he talking about? He's talking about, I need to, be, I need to repent from this, this mindset that has hardened me against him. That's repentance. I need to change from wrong thinking to right thinking. I need to change from pride to humility, from being self-centered to selfless, from not caring to concern, from just going through the motions 
to having passion and depth in my Christianity. Example. I don't believe this, but this is an example. Say I wanted to go to the pub. I just wanted to drink a few pints. It's not what I do love, but just follow me out. But as a Joe Soap, it's what I normally do on Friday evenings, and I just love doing it. But as I was driving, a fear came upon me, because I remember the last time I went drinking, I crashed my car on my way home for the second time, and my wife threatened to leave me, and my kids cried seeing their dad so drunk. So in that moment, I repented. My mind was changed, and I went home, and my attitude towards drink changed at that moment now, my heart and my body may still have wanted to go and drink, but my mind was changed about it, and so I didn't go. Now, that is the meaning of repentance. I changed my mind. I went home. Amen? Now, people say, was well, that all that's needed? Not on your life. Because you can change your mind, and then you'll change it back. You see, it sounds so simple to just change my mind and to not do a sin. But believe me, when it is what you're normally doing, when it is what everybody else is doing, and when it's what you want to do, you'll do it. So the truth is you need a supernatural change in your thinking. That's why you need to be born again. That's why you need the Holy Spirit of God. Nobody can just say, I'll no longer uh, drink. I'll no longer use curse words. I'll no longer be angry. I'll... You say that now and in... 20 minutes, it'll all be back again. So repentance has to have the help of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? It is not in you and me to just change our minds and our attitude. I need God's help to help me turn away from anger, from lust, from lying, from rebellion, from laziness, from pornography, from drink, from drugs, from depression, from rudeness, because that's where faith comes in. Believing that God is able, not me. That's why you've got to struggle with any one of those sins. Your time in, in humble, dependent prayer upon to God and upon his Holy Spirit is the key to being able to go and change your mind in your life about that sin in your life. Yeah, you need to fear the consequences. And that's a good thing. That's an ingredient of, of it. But I need God. You and I need to constantly ask God for help against whatever sin is so easily besetting us. And that's in this big package called bringing me to a place of repentance. Repentance has five ingredients. First of all, it has me fearing God. There is no repentance without the fear of the Lord. Everybody thinks we all just need to love God and that's all that matters. No, that's not all that matters. You need to fear God. Proverbs 16.6 says this, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. I'm glad for mercy, glad for truth. Watch this. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Amen. I'm glad God is very merciful to me, but I better fear because one of these days he's going to catch me. One of these days he's going to expose me. One of these days he's going to judge me. And if I'm saved, going to chasten me or I'll stand before God and I will lose rewards for that, that should have been mine forever, and I blew it because I didn't take it seriously. Repentance is five ingredients. Me fearing God. Secondly, me turning to God. Turning to God means being, being real, not hiding anything. You know, when you turn away, you're kind of, you're, you're, God doesn't see your face. You kind of hide in your heart. When you turn to God, you stand empty, naked, and open before him. There's nothing being hidden. 
That's an ingredient to repentance is you finally humbling yourself saying, you already know me, and I finally own it. And you're turning from whatever God has showed wrong in your life. Go to Acts chapter 14. We'll come back to Romans in a few moments, but you can close it down because we got a couple of scriptures. Look at Acts chapter 14 in verse 8. And we'll read down to verse 15, Romans, uh, sorry, Acts 14, verse 8 to 15. I want you to see that turning from and to is supposed to happen at the same time. Look at Acts 14, verse 8. And there, were, there sat a certain man, Elystra, impotent in his feet. He's crippled. Being a cripple from his mother's womb who never walked. The same heard Paul speak who steadfastly behold him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and he walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in the speech of Lycaonia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter, and Paul Mercurius, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands under the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. They're going to worship Paul and Barnabas, verse 14. Which when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard it, they actually rent their clothes and they ran in among the people crying out and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We are also men of like passions with you and we preach unto you that ye should turn, here's our word repentance, from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in time past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness in that he did what? Oh, he's always good to us. And he gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts and food with gladness. And with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people that they did not sacrifice unto them. What did Paul and Barnabas say to those people? We're just like you. We're just, we have the same passions. We have the same sinful nature. We have everything just like you. Don't worship us. Worship God, who's given you a space right now to turn from this idolatry and just hold on to Him. Just have Him as your one God, your one Savior. And let me say this this step is where most Christians stop growing. What happens is we turn to God, but we hold on to our sin, don't we? We, we want to be saved from hell, but we kind of want to bring as much of hell with us. And we never actually make a full turn. That's repentance. Where it's, there's, a, there's an abandonment and a clinging. Several times in the book of Deuteronomy, God says to Moses, he says, tell them the greatest commandment is to love God and to Cling unto him, cleave unto him with all their heart. Just hold on to me, God says. Most Christians are still so full of pride, evil habits. Do such, they say, so, I, I don't know. Uh, do, you, do you ever catch yourself saying something you know you shouldn't have said? Talking like, everybody, I know, I'm just, we're, we're in town on Fridays and we're handing out gospel tracts. People passing by. The language in just normal conversation just make the hair stand on the back of your neck. 
Now, that's one thing if they're lost, but what about Christians? Do we carry that into our Christian life? The problem is a lot of Christians never grow because they refuse to turn away from their favorite sins. Next thing, next ingredient that repentance has is called attitude. You're in Acts. Go back to the left and find Joel chapter 2. Joel, Joel is one of those small books just before Matthew. So go from Matthew, go left, and you'll hit a small book called Joel. If you get to Daniel, you went just too far. Joel chapter 2 and verse 12. Joel, these are the ingredients of a man's repentance, a woman's repentance. You need to have an attitude about it. With emotion, Joel chapter 2 and verse 12 says this. Therefore also now saith the Lord, here's our word, turn, that's repent. Turn ye even to me with how much of your heart? Wow. And with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart, break your heart, not your garments, because they could put on a great show and say, I'm really upset. Okay, well, but are you? I mean, it's easy to do something. It's another thing to be something. Rend your heart and not your garments. Turn to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness. And he repenteth. He'll change his mind about the evil he's going to bring upon you. Second Corinthians now. Second Corinthians. When you turn, turn with attitude. Second Corinthians chapter 7. Second Corinthians chapter 7 verse 9. There was, there was a man and a woman in the church at Corinth that were living together. And uh, uh, she was... Um, um, he was married to his father's wife, and it was just where he was living with her, and it was just like, it was just an abomination. Just, so Paul said, deal with him. If he doesn't repent, kick him out of the church. And watch what he says. That He worried that the Corinthians were not going to deal with it because the Corinthians were like, oh, well, we're very, we're very open-minded. The Corinthians were kind of a, a very immature, unspiritual church. And they kind of thought, well, we'll, we'll turn a blind eye. We're not going to be harsh on this. This, this couple in the church, they're probably big tithers. I don't know. But Paul was very impressed when they did deal with the man. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, pick it up in verse 9. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed yourselves to what? All right, so he, he verse 8, go back to verse 8. For though I made you sorry with a letter, meaning 1 Corinthians, I made you upset. I know I brought sorrow into your life with a letter, I do not repent. I'm not sad I did that, though I did repent. <laughs> for I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. I just don't want, here, Paul's saying, I just don't want you to feel bad about allowing this guy to be in your church. I don't want you to feel bad that you didn't deal with him right until I corrected you. He said, I want you to repent. I want you to be sorry enough to repent. He goes on. For ye were made sorrow after a godly manner, 
that you might receive damage by us in nothing so that you wouldn't be hurt. Verse 10, for godly sorrow, the right kind of sorrow, the right kind of attitude, worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world brings suicide, brings death. You ever met anybody who just said, I just don't want to live? Sorry I was ever born? That leads to death. That's not what God wants in your life. He wants you sorry enough to want to be saved and sorry enough to want to be changed. Verse 11, for behold, this same self thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort. And then he describes it. What carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation you had. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. This was all part of their attitude when they got right with God and dealt with the man, kicked him out, and got him right by doing so. Yea, what zeal, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Godly sorrow with a proper attitude towards God brings repentance. So godly sorrow is when you feel guilty, when you feel regret, when you feel broken, and I have to ask that, do we ever have that attitude anymore? Or are we hard? And the question is, here's somebody, I'll just describe somebody here, and they're living like the devil, and they don't care. They're Christians who are trying to do right, but they still have some secret sins or some personal sins, some favorite sins they don't want to give up, and they don't care. And when somebody preaches about their favorite sin or brings it up or deals with something from the Bible and it rubs them the wrong way, both of them say, oh, I'm out of here. When the goodness of God has brought them to church and put them under preaching to lead them to what? Mm, you see how it's working now? The last ingredient that repentance needs is desire to change. Nobody changes till they want to. You need to ask God for forgiveness yourself and for the ability to live free of that sin. You need to have a sorrow for something that we know is sinful and rebellious against God with a decision to forsake it. Take your Bible, turn to Proverbs. Go back to Proverbs chapter 28. Middle of your Bible is Psalms, and the next book is Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13. Twenty-eight, thirteen. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. That covering is to hide it, put it under the rug. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and with the desire he forsaketh them shall have mercy. Happy is the man that feareth God always. But he that hardeneth his heart, here we go, shall one day fall into mischief and not get up. So are you going to cover up and harden your heart? Or are you going to allow your sins to be exposed and and dealt with by, by God, by the Spirit of God, and then get right. By the way, let me say this. Repentance is not a work. Repentance is an attitude, I said. Repentance is a surrender where you say, wow. Every time I try to correct my life, I fall into more sin. That's right. But you want to change, and then you get helped by God. He's the changer. Let me show you what the, this thing is going to we'll wrap this up. We need to easily repent. This is the key truth. Even though you are not experiencing the judge of God and the chasing of God maybe right now, every human being is being called to repent as a way of life. Yes, 
You need to repent and be saved. Amen. Repent, believe the gospel, Jesus said. Amen. That's salvation. That's a one-time thing, but don't leave it there. Paul is writing Romans chapter 2 to the Christian and saying, don't you despise the goodness of God. Repentance is throughout the Bible. Repentance is throughout the Bible, man. John the Baptist thundered in the wilderness, and guess what he said? Repent! When Jesus went to the wilderness and he was tempted 40 days, when he came out of the wilderness, the first words out of his mouth were, Repent! Believe the gospel! The apostle Paul, everywhere he went, he preached that men and women need to repent. Acts 20, 21 says this, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That's an attitude we need to have to get saved and to live. You've got to believe that Jesus Christ will save you from God's righteous wrath, but you need to you need to believe that you deserve God's righteous wrath. That's repentance. Repentance says, I'm in trouble, but I don't want to be. That's the right attitude, amen. The wrong attitude would be, well, I don't agree with God. I don't like God. I don't care if God is this or that. That hard heart is a problem. Repentance is when you finally go and you agree and you, you surrender and you say, you win. Luke 24, 47, Jesus says his disciples, repentance and remission of sins should be preached in Jesus' name among all nations, begin at Jerusalem. Don't forget to tell people they need to repent. I tell people on the street, God loves you. He doesn't want you to die and go to hell, but you need to repent. Put it all in one package. People ask, what does that mean? Have the right attitude about God. Don't just have the right things that you believe. You know the devil believes in God. The devil's got perfect doctrine. You have to have the right attitude. So the gospel includes repentance. When people got saved, they repented. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.9 says the Thessalonians turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That, it, when people got saved, they actually got saved from sin. Amen? Not just from hell. And what our nation needs and what our churches in Ireland need is to repent. Turn your Bible to 2 Chronicles 7. Second Chronicles chapter 7. If you find Psalms in the middle, go left and go to Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. Second Chronicles 7:14 says this: If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and what? All right, humble themselves and pray and seek my face not the popularity of the world, not the followers on Instagram, if they will seek my face, and here's the word, and turn from their wicked ways. Whose people? God's people. Not just the lost, but if God's people will turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. You know what is fun to me? Only modern Christians today want you to only believe in Jesus that's kind of funny to me. Go to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Just believe in Jesus and you'll be fine. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 12. Start in verse 11. It says this, Matthew 9, 11. 
when the Pharisees saw it, Jesus sitting down with some harlots and publicans, they said unto his disciples, why eateth your master with publicans and, what's the next word? Oh, the sinners. But when Jesus heard that, that, he said unto them, they that are whole, they that are healthy, need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus was not sitting down with those harlots and publicans and sinners and telling them, you guys are okay. He was calling them to repent, wasn't he? Ah. But you know what's in the new Bibles? A coach of the NIV. You ready? Watch for the word that's missing. But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those that are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. What's missing? To repentance. Isn't that interesting? Somehow people think, well, let's just get to Jesus. Well, you need to get to Jesus, but you're going to have to let go of this world. You're going to have to realize that what's holding, what you're holding on to and what's holding on to you is sending you to hell and you need to turn and just totally, and this is what happens when you get saved, totally surrender and say, you win, God, save a wretch like me. Because as long as you're holding on to the things of this world, you're never going to grow. Jesus Christ saves. It's not that you have to be perfect. It's not that you have to give up all of your sins, but whatever's keeping you from getting saved, cut it off. Jesus said it'd be better for you to cut off your right hand if that's what's keeping you from getting saved. Better to pluck out your right eye if it's keeping you from getting saved than for you, than for you to go to hell whole. So don't, don't follow the modern Christians that just believe on Jesus. No, we need a heart change, folks. We need our heart to fear God, to want to turn from and to and be free. That's where Christianity thrived. Not that we live like the world on our way to heaven. We don't do that. All our life, and this is, this is the big deal, God has been bringing us to a place where we would repent as a lifestyle, as an attitude about our sins. You know, your, your repentance led you to salvation. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to. So it wasn't that God wants us all to come to salvation. Of course he does. But that's not what it says. It says he wants us all to come to the attitude of repentance because that's what truly saves. It led to your salvation. And it must continue after you got saved. Romans is written mainly to believers. Everybody can read it. But it's asking us, are we despising God's kindness just like the lost are? So in every situation in your life, every day God is leading you to a life of repentance, not penance. See, people will get up and they'll see things wrong. And they go, oh, I'm no good. Oh, I'm a failure again. That's not repentance. You know what repentance is? Lord, I failed last week. I failed yesterday. I don't want to fail today. I want to be more like Jesus. Just make me a little more like Jesus today. That's repentance. How are you going to, let me ask you this. How will you react if you got rebuked? If you were told or, ex, or, or it was exposed that you're addicted to smoking or addicted to drinking or that you're addicted to pornography, not just struggling with it, but addicted. And you were told that Drinking is not a disease, but a sin. How would you react? 
How would you react if, if you were exposed and somebody said, you're lazy? That you only care about things and possessions. How do you respond when somebody exposes you as prayerless and empty of the Holy Spirit of God? How do you feel when, when somebody rebukes you for being lukewarm towards God and towards the Bible and towards prayer? And how do you feel when, when it's exposed that your life and the way you live is actually helping the devil by just staying home or just sitting there and not serving God and not soul winning and not surrendering to his life as well? How do you like that? You know, every time you read your Bible, that's what you're being told. I, I don't want to get up here and say stuff, but the Bible does. And when it does, you got one of two. How, how do you like hearing those things? That's your first response? When every time the fact that God hasn't judged you for all of those, you realize how sinful it is to be so prayerless, how sinful it is to be so ungrateful, how sinful it is to be so proud. And when somebody, when, when the preaching or the Bible or the Holy Spirit convicts you of that and you've got that attitude, you know what the problem is? <sighs> Judgment's coming. What kind of attitude do I need when, when the pastor's preaching and it's, it's hurts? That's the one. That's the one. You see, the word of God can strike deep in your heart and make you angry, make you harder towards God, towards the Bible, towards preaching. Or it can strike deep into your heart and cause you to break down and humble yourself and yearn to be different. When I, when I preach this Bible and God strikes at your sin, I'm not trying to pick it up. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get T-Row today. <laughs> I've got his number. I've got his sins right here. His wife told me. <laughs> That's not what I do on in preparation for preaching. But when God's got your number, you need to quickly repent. You need to right there in your seat, agree with God and get right with God. You know how you'll know you've been in a good church service? When God has cut you in your heart and humbled you and got you on your knees saying, God, have mercy on me. Help me to live right. Let, help me to live soft. Help me to be, be more like Jesus. If you come to church and you're always just feeling good afterwards, I have not done my job. And neither of you. You see, God is so full of compassion. Go to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. He is so full of compassion that we ought to just be in awe. And we ought to be soft and quick to repent. Psalm 103, verse 8 says this, right in the middle of your Bible, beautiful chapter. Psalm 103, verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He had not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Wow, he should have, but he hasn't. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are but. So God's very tender towards us because he knows we can't handle his, just, his judgment. He doesn't want to judge. He actually gives us space to repent because he knows what happens when dust is, is judged. The very fact that we're alive and breathing today is because of God's goodness. 
not because we're righteous, not because we're good or strong, but only because God is leading us to a closer walk through repentance. That attitude is missing. That when I read the Bible, I want God to speak to me and show me where I'm wrong. I can read the Bible and I can look for ways to help. Emmanuel's wrong. And my wife is wrong. And you're wrong. But that book was written so that I know where I'm wrong. And I need to be quick. And it would be easy for me to repent. What if no repentance? Go back to Romans chapter 2 and we're through. Romans chapter 2 and verse 5. Romans 2 and verse 5. <clears throat> Paul's asking, he says, are you really going to despise the goodness of God? Verse 5, but after thy hardness and impenitent, unrepentant is the word, impenitent heart, what are you treasuring up? You could be treasuring up the riches of God's goodness, his forbearance, his long-suffering, but instead you're treasuring up what? Wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. What a statement, man. Who will render to every man according to his deeds. So you know what I, you know what my job is? To reprove, to rebuke, and to exhort. I'm supposed to do what I do here, make you uncomfortable. That's the Bible description of a Bible preacher. And when you're upset, don't get upset at me. I try not to upset anybody, but this book will upset you. And when you don't care, when you come in, go out, and you're the same, you need to start to get worried. My job is to make you uncomfortable so that God can bring you to a place of repentance, not happiness. You know why most people go to church? To get happy, to be entertained. That's their business. In this church, I want to get like Jesus. I want to constantly have victory in my life. And I constantly live like the world. Because if there's no repentance, that's how my heart gets. It will only grow harder and farther away from God. If you don't, and you go away today and you just get upset at me and you come up with every reason why I'm not going to get right with my wife. I'm not going to get right with my husband. I'm not going to repent about what I've said and about what I've done. I'm not going to look at myself. You know what happens? Your heart gets a little harder and it, you will grow a little farther away from God and it gets harder and harder to get right. Today, do not harden your heart. We need to repent a lot. It's just important to be quick to humble ourselves to those we've hurt, humble ourselves before God when we pray and we worship and just say, I'm sorry. There are too many people who just believe in God but are not changed. They find themselves constantly back in sin, ashamed and guilty and defeated as Christians because their attitude is, well, God will fix me. Sure he will if you humble yourself and if you allow him to hurt you by humbling you and you wanting to be different. Somebody may say, well, what if I get another bad attitude? Repent again. Well, what if I get into some temptation? Repent again. It's a life, amen? You're not, you're not challenged to be perfect. You're challenged to live a life where God is being kind to you and constantly always bringing you to a place of repentance. God brings us to repentance. It's, it's that, that it could be a place, I don't know, but it's an event in your life where you are called and you need to respond with, you're right, Lord, I'm wrong.
The longer you take to get there, the harder it is to get back until it will be impossible. You see, when, when does it become impossible? Read about Pharaoh. Read about how God said he will not let my people go. Why? Because he will pass a point where he cannot get back. And that ought to terrify some people who say, well, I'll just put it off. I'll, I'll get saved when I get older. I'll, I'll start reading my Bible when I, when, I don't, when I have more time. No, you'll never have that chance because the harder you get, the harder it is to get back. And there comes a point where all of a sudden, maybe you end up in the hospital. Maybe you lose your eyesight because you've watched the television so much and you can't read, you can't spend the time, and you've lost. And it may just get impossible to ever do the will of God. Don't despise the goodness of God. What has God, or what could God right now, in this moment, bring up to your mind and say, I'm dealing with you, Ledbetter, about this. And I'm waiting to see what your attitude about it is. Ledbetter, you're going to, you're going to argue and fight with me, or are you are going to say, you're right, Lord? I need to get this right. Well, if you'll do that this morning, it will have all been worth it. Stand with me in this bound prayer. Father, in this moment, I worry that we're all thinking about going home. When right now we need to come before you. And you've been so good to us. Some of us have grandkids. Some of us are surrounded by Christians all the time. We have fellowship. Some of us have, have marriages that have lasted. Some of us have health. Some of us have our sanity and jobs. And we're financially stable. Some of us are so blessed. And we treat it like it's nothing. Not knowing that. There are things in our life you want to deal with and you want to get rid of. You want to pull away. You want to get us free from. You want to change. And in this moment, God, everything that we have came from you. Even the fact that we've got an opportunity to get saved this morning, an opportunity to repent and believe the gospel. Don't let anybody in this room despise this opportunity. And they realize they may not get another one. And that right now is eternity hangs in the balance. And there would be rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who would repent. And over 99 others who don't need repentance. Because that's your heart. So Lord, may we elevate the value of a repentant attitude as a Christian. Not from something we need to do when we do something really bad, but something we just quickly do when we do anything bad. When we do anything that we found out was wrong. May we be quick to humble ourselves before you have to humble us. And all I can ask is in Jesus' name, amen.